our 1030 service. Thank you for being here, being part of our service. We also want to welcome all of those that are tuning in over over Facebook or we'll be seeing this our service later on the internet. Thank you for being part of our service today. We come together this morning to worship the Lord and let's begin our service in prayer. Our Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for all of the blessings that you give to us each day. And we pray that you will be with us during this time of worship, that we'll set aside the cares of this world, and that we will listen and take in the things that you would have us to do. Father, we pray that this service will touch our lives, change our attitudes, and help us to be a better Christian in your sight. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. We're going to start off our song service with Go Be the Church. We'll sing verses 1 and 2 of that uh, starting our service off. If you would, stand with me as we sing this song. As we gather here on our Lord,
Our Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful for all the blessings of this life. We're thankful, Father, for your love and care for us. We're thankful that you care for us in, in such a wonderful way, that you provide all the things that are necessary to live life uh, on this earth. We're thankful, Father, for the spiritual blessings that are found only in Christ. We're thankful, Father, for the church that he established with his blood and for the privilege of being members of that blood-bought institution. And we pray for the church here at Boonville that you would continue to be with us, that you would be with our leadership, with our preachers, our teachers, that we would uh, hear the things that would be necessary for us to do your will in this community and throughout the world. We pray this morning for Ken as he stands before us to bring the lesson to us that you would give him a good recollection of those things that he's prepared to say and help him present them in such a way that we would be able to understand. And more than that, Father, that we would recognize our duty and responsibility to take the gospel to the whole world. We realize, Father, that we have many in our congregation that are having health problems. We pray your blessings be with Martha Eaton, Bobby Jennings, Caleb Farr, Linda Shirley, Edith English, Ben Roberts, George Hale, Tim Floyd, Nellie Caldwell, Will Tennyson, Cynthia Barnett, Foster, Turner Foster, Levi Sweeney, Katie Bruce, John David Horn, Martha Carr, and Father, be with all those uh, Bible correspondence uh, people that are studying your word and be with the one that is heading up that uh, effort. We pray that you would continue to, to bless each and every one of them. We know, Father, that we often do and say things that are not right. We leave off doing things that we know that are that we should do. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to forgive us of these as we continue to recognize our shortcomings and ask your forgiveness. We pray that you would go with us now as we continue in this, uh, this uh, lesson this morning in this service. We pray that everything that we say and do would be acceptable in your sight. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you'd like to mark number 852 when the roll is called, if the honor will be invitation after uh, Brother Ken's lesson. Next, we'll sing in Christ alone.
Timothy chapter 2 verse 19 Nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal the Lord knoweth them that are his and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity Good morning everybody so great to see you a lot of folks have returned who have been away for a while. And I want you to, as best you can, to take note of that as you're leaving this morning and just welcome them back and just, I guess, rejoice that we have uh, the vaccine and we're able to get that shot and, and feel more comfortable maybe. But I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when we really can have this thing behind us and get busy about the work of the Lord. And isn't it, isn't it great just to be together and to experience fellowship with one another? Yes, the two or three of you that feel that way, that is just so wonderful. Is this working? Hello? Isn't it great? Yes! We love it. We love being together. 
And I just, I like looking out there and seeing smiling faces. I told Anita a few weeks ago, I said, you know what? I I have no idea how it's going because I look out there and I just see eyes and masks without any facial expression. So I hardly get any feedback and I'm just hoping that there's some life behind that. And the more those masks go down, the easier it is for me. But we're going to be patient, aren't we? And do the best that we can to make everybody feel comfortable so that more folks will come back and and assemble themselves together with us. As a function of our general theme to seek and do, every month we're using a lesson in order to build on that concept. We're right now in a phase where we're deepening our connection to God. So this morning, we're going to draw off of this text of Scripture, which if you didn't know it before, I hope when you leave this morning, you'll realize how powerful and impactful the statement of Scripture that we have before us is. We're going to learn today about the importance of standing on the foundation that God has made, a solid foundation. It's based on the Lord's knowledge of who we are, but it's also based on our naming the name of Christ and abstaining from iniquity. There's God's part and there's our part. And I hope that when we leave today, we'll know exactly where we stand in all of that, hopefully on the foundation of God. Before we start our study, let's pray that God will bless all of us together as we're worshiping in our meditation upon his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the blessing it is to be assembled here and to study from your word. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us through the mechanism of your word, that it will impact our hearts, we'll take it in, and it will make a difference with us. I pray that all of us are standing on your foundation. And Lord, if there is anything that is wrong with us, anything that is standing between us and our relationship with you, of deepening our connection to you, I pray that today we'll be able to remove it. I pray that you'll help me to communicate it And I pray for those who hear these words that they'll be able to accept it and that it truly will be a a study that will bless us spiritually and help us to get on the right footing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so there, there are a lot of books in the world. And I don't know if you ever frequent a library. I, I go into some libraries and I'm underwhelmed. I go into some libraries and I'm overwhelmed. You can't even hardly reach the books for the abundance of books. And they have writers who deal with every subject imaginable. And if, if you were to gather up all of the books of all time, it would be a sight. But much of what has happened in the past has been lost to us, but that has not stopped the production of books. Solomon said one time in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 12 that there practically is no end to the making of books. We have books that just deal in fantasy, 
novels and you can get into a series with a particular writer and you can go on and on and on. And even if you don't particularly like that, that volume that you're on now, you're so into that writer, you hope the next one maybe will take it up a notch. And then not only do they have one series, they probably have a deal with their publisher where they have to write many series. And so you're just, you're just hooked on a writer. And then that scenario can go on and on and on with what seems to be a numberless supply of authors of novels. And then if you aren't into that, all of us at some point in work had to get a manual. Maybe we need a manual to fix a particular machine in the office, or maybe there's a manual that goes along with the work that you do to describe the procedure. We have books that we just go to for a particular procedure. We just look at one little aspect of that. Someone came in my office one time and saw the books on my shelves and said, have you read all these books? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, many of them are, are just reference books. And so I'll go to them, I'll look at one particular section. I've not actually read the whole book, but I've read portions of most of the books. You have books like that. Some books are textbooks. So you're in the classroom and you may not even enjoy what you're reading, but what is on that page is there for the development of your knowledge. We just have books upon books upon books. And if that weren't enough, then today represents the easiest time in history for you to become a published author. You can actually write a book, put it in basically a PDF form, upload it to a digital publisher, and there you go. Thousands and thousands of those are put online all the time. Day in and day out, books and books and books and books. Some books just have names in them. I'm, I'm thinking in relation to what happened with Joseph and Mary. Okay, so Joseph and Mary were displaced from their regular home to go to Bethlehem because they needed to go there so that they could sign documents and basically be enrolled or have recognition of their citizenship. And you know how this usually goes. We want to know you're our citizen because we want your taxes. So they had to sign up for their taxes. Their names were written along with so many others. There is a kind of document that exists in which we also, because of our citizenship, have to be recognized. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 reminds us that our citizenship, well, it's in heaven. We are sojourners on the earth. We are pilgrims. We're going to be here for a span of time, but we don't expect to be here forever. We're just passing through this life in order to be a party to what is going to be just an amazing existence with the Lord forever and ever. Eternal life. That citizenship, that recognition in heaven is actually written down in a book. In heaven. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3. 
your names written in heaven. In that case, you have the Apostle Paul trying to soothe a relationship between Yodia and Syntyche, and he reminds them, along with everybody else who might be reading this letter, you know, I'm concerned about them, but they're co-workers with me, along with Clement and so many other workers whose names are written, whose names are in, oh, here it is, and I love it, the book of life. This isn't just any book. It isn't just one of thousands and thousands and thousands of books. This is the book of eternal life. Now, as regards getting my name in that book and keeping it in the book, there are statements in Scripture like the one that we're reading here in 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. And he says it has this seal. And there are two aspects to it. Number one, the Lord knows those who are his. And the second one is, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Today, I want us, when we walk out of this building, to know with an assurance that our name is written in the book of life. Now, this, this verse actually breaks itself down into, well, how handy for a sermon, three components. <laughs> One is the declaration that is made, and then there is an expectation and an examination that we need to make. And then finally, a determination that all of us must make to be assured that our name is there. Let's, let's think about the declaration of this text. The text says, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows this. So it, it is not a surprise to the Lord if your name is in the book. Now, I, I read through scripture, and as you do, and sometimes maybe like me, we're surprised at things we find there. For instance, we'll, we'll find a text like Luke 10 and verse 17. In that verse of scripture, here are the disciples who are able to do miracles, and, and they're able to do, of course, because of their connection with Jesus and, and their ability to channel the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they're able to remove demons, and they, they are so excited. I mean, it's like, wow, look at what we can do. And I think along with them about how outstanding that would be. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you, if you were walking through the hospital and you knew that every room you stopped in, no matter how bad the case, if you walked in there and you said the right words or you touched the hem of somebody's garment, that they would leap up out of that bed completely well, I mean, wouldn't you be walking through that hospital with a smile on your face? I, I'm telling you, I would. There have been lots of times when I've been at the bed of someone who was suffering or whose death was well nigh. And there's nothing but pain and anguish. And even if, even if you're not close to that person, there are sympathies that well up within you. And, oh, if you could do something about it. I do the best that I can, don't you? I pray with them, and I offer them words of sympathy, but 
if I could, wow, if I could just touch them or say the right words and they leapt up out of that bed, man, I would think I was the happiest I could possibly be. But you go down just a few verses later, verse 20. Here are these disciples who can do these amazing things. And they're like, yeah, we finally arrived. Jesus said, wait a minute. There is something that exists that can bring you way more joy than the ability even to do these miraculous things. And it is the knowledge that your name is written in heaven. Think about that now. I may not be able to walk through a hospital and free people from their physical afflictions, but there is something that ought to put a smile on my face every day, despite what I deal with that might otherwise be negative in my life. And it is the knowledge that the Lord knows me and that my name is written in heaven. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, pretty famous text. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. A couple of verses later is that famous text, verse 6, where he says to be anxious for nothing. So we look at those and we're like, well, you know, yeah, I know, yeah, rejoicing and no anxiety. Maybe he's talking about an ideal here, you know. Maybe he's setting something as a, as a high standard, uh, a bar that I'm trying to aspire to. And boy, if I could have that, you know, that, that's just kind of the ideal. If I could aspire to that joy, if I could live a life free of anxiety, that'd be great. Sometimes we want to justify how we feel, how negative we feel by saying, well, that's what we're hoping to achieve. Paul didn't write it like that. Paul wrote it in order to encourage people to do and be just that. You be joyful. You rejoice. You be free of anxiety. Okay, why should I? You know, despite the fact that he encourages us to pray and our connection with God, how is that going to translate into joy and freedom of anxiety? Well, back up one verse, verse 3. It's what we led with a moment ago. Here are these people who are basically fighting. And Paul says, stop for a minute and remember this. Because this is the thing that is even way better than working miracles. It is the knowledge that your name is in the book of life. The book of life. The book of life. What, what would that mean exactly? Well, he's not talking about this life. Uh, we're to have the joy and we're to have the freedom from anxiety in this life because of what we know about the one he's talking about. The life that's connected with the book. What kind of life is that? That is eternal life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, I think that text does a good job of describing it for us. He says that the wages of sin is death, and that's not physical death. You sin, you don't automatically die, do you? That's not physical death. The wages of sin is death, that's eternal death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus. Eternal life, the gift of God. Who gets that? The Lord knows those who are his. Lord knows those. Those folks are the ones who are going to be getting that eternal life. The ones whose names are written in the book of eternal life. God knows you. God knows you intimately, personally. If you're in, he knows about you. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and they shall never stumble neither shall anyone snatch them out of my father's hand my father which gave them to me is greater than all no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand no one you know why because he knows who they are he knows who is his the Lord knows that that's quite a declaration isn't it that ought to make us feel great except that sometimes Sometimes there's just a big question mark about it. I don't know why, but I meet lots of Christians who have question marks similar to this. So I want to examine, if the Lord knows those who are His, how can I know that I am His? Big question mark. Here's what we tend to do. We typically do. We'll say, well, those who are members of the church. Those people are the ones that the Lord knows. And, and that makes sense, right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23 says that we are registered in heaven. That is, members of the church. So I get it. If I'm registered there, kind of like with Joseph and Mary, registered in the book of citizenship, I'm a citizen in heaven. My name's written there in the book of life. Thank you, Lord. Yes, and, and he loves the church, right? You don't have to go any farther than um, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 25, and, and the next couple of verses. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Does Jesus love the church? Yes. How much does he love the church? Enough to die for her, to cleanse her and wash her from the stains that came. Well, you and I, we commit sin. Jesus died so that he could wash us free of our sins and add us to the church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. And how special is that? The one who knows us is the one who, according to that text, adds to the church. In that text, they're specifically added to the church daily. Those who were being saved. If you are the saved, the Lord has added you to the church. The Lord knows who that is. He knows who you are. Therefore, you in that process ought to know it too. So you obeyed the gospel. You were buried into that watery grave of baptism, Romans 6, 3 and 4. In the death, you had your sins washed away, verse 7. And when you rose up, you rose up in newness of life. The Lord added you to the church. You know and He knows. And when He did that, when your citizenship was secured by your obedience to the gospel, your name was written in the book of life. You were saved and now you have eternal life written right there in the book. But... 
Can we be a little more specific about this? Because I've seen people, maybe you have too, who are fanatical about making sure their name is in the church roll book. I mean the one that we keep maybe at the office. I've been places, I don't know if this is true here or not, but I'll just tell you my experience. I've been places where I, I, I was called by a person to check and make sure their name was on the roll book that I had not met over the past eight years. In fact, they had moved to another state. But they just wanted to make sure they were still on the roll book where we were. I thought, that's odd. Want to make sure my name's on... First of all, that's not the book we're talking about. We're not talking about the roll book or the directory book. We're talking about the book that God keeps that is in eternal places. The book of life. The book of eternal life. God writes the name in there. Nobody else can take it out. Okay? So if your name is in that book, don't misunderstand. It's there for good until, well, this. There's a little passage of Scripture that might create a little bit of heartburn. And that's the book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5. Now, this is coming to the close of a description of several churches, seven in fact, that had all kinds of problems, most of them. And in those churches, they had predominantly people who were unfaithful and who were being defeated by worldly influences. But always in every church, there was at least a nucleus of people who were overcomers. Literally, the word overcome means to be victorious. So there was always seemingly a group of people, however small, who were overcomers in those churches. In this text, Revelation 3 verse 5, he says that those who overcome will not have their names blotted out of the book of life. Okay, now stay with me here. If you're an overcomer, don't worry. Your name's not going to be blotted out. Now, you know the flip side of that coin, don't you? If you are not an overcomer, then the expectation is your name is blotted out. Now, I'm just going to tell you this about me. I don't want my name blotted out of the book of life, the book that corresponds to eternal life. I want to overcome. I want to win. Now, what would it mean to overcome? Overcome what exactly? Every time there was a problem, its root was the same one that we face, and that is Satan, evil that is in the world. There's a passage of Scripture uses the very same kind of language in the book of Romans, chapter 12, the very last verse, verse 21. It's the last verse in a series of verses that deals with how you live as a living sacrifice. So it's a positive passage of Scripture. Here's what you do. You do this and this and this and this. It, it's just 
an entire package, that chapter, an entire package of what it is to be a righteous, upright person. To serve God to the fullest of your ability. Do these things, success. But look at that last verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome, rather overcome. Don't be overcome by evil things, but overcome the evil by good things. Our text from 2 Timothy 2, verse 19, it's one of those charges, one of those seals the Lord said. Oh, the Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of Christ, let him depart from iniquity. If you have named the name of Christ, I'm a Christian, right? Christian, got the name of Christ. If you are a Christian, you've got to depart from sinful things. Depart from iniquities. Okay, so I've got to overcome evil with good. Overcomer. And then there's the matter of Satan. So you're a child of God. He wants to thwart your success. He doesn't want you to have eternal life. And so Peter reminds us to be vigilant in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Stop right there. To be an overcomer means I'm going to have to hold on to my faith no matter what. If I will hold on to my faith, then I'm not going to be overcome by evil. I'm not going to have the devil defeating me continually. Rather, I'm going to be resisting the devil. James says that if I resist the devil, he will flee from me. There's the antidote to the problem that exists for a child of God who is overcome by evil. You've got to resist the evil. Stop it. But part of all of that is my faithfulness as a Christian. I may have my name on the roll book and have had my name because of unfaithfulness blotted out of the only book that really matters. The book of life, the book of eternal life. I better examine, don't you think, about that question mark. Am I a faithful member of the body of Christ? Oh, he knows. Wait a minute. He knows. I know that for sure because that's what my text says. So I have to make a determination. Am I going to stand on that solid foundation or not? He knows, and I know me. Don't you know yourself? You know, I I know me. I I know whether I'm faithful or not. I know whether I have a a guilt complex about it. It bothers me. Maybe I try to compensate by doing good things. I think I'm going to get God's favor that way. If my name's been blotted out, the Lord knows that that has happened, and I probably know it too. Or at least I'm suspecting that it has happened. The Lord knows those who are His I should know whether I am his or not, by whether I'm an overcomer or not. And then, 
I need to decide whether or not I'm going to depart from iniquity. See, here's the thing. You felt bad about your sin, felt the guilt. Genuinely, honestly, repented of your sins. You confessed. You were buried in water, had those sins washed away. You came up out of the water. Have you ever heard of a person who, you you get to talking, and they're like, now, understand, I'm a Christian now. And I don't live like I used to live, but boy, let me me tell you how I used to do. Boy, I could, and and you think of the worst person you think of now, well, that was me. And let me tell you about that time that I, and then I also, and boy, boy, we really tied one on that night, and talk about their past as though they just wish that they could just have one more day back in the old times, back when it was they were wild and crazy. You know, just got that rape. Oh, now, I, you know, I'm a good Christian now, but in their mind, they just... You know what it means to be filled with iniquity? It, the translation of that, the extension of that, is to be unrighteous. To be unrighteous means to be unrighteous in two ways. In life and in heart. Okay, now I get the life part, and I say, well, you look at me, you'll not see that I do anything wrong, right? You can, you can live in such a way as to never actually commit the sin. But the definition is not just unrighteousness of living, as though we can fool everybody about what we're thinking. The definition of iniquity, the very thing that we're to let go of, is not only the life that I'm living that you can see, but also the heart. What does my heart long for? Am I satisfied and good with serving God? Or do I long for the days when I was able to commit sin and didn't care what anybody thought about it. I may not actually be committing the sin, but I'm still thinking about it. That would still be unrighteousness in my heart. I have to decide whether I'm going to stand on God's foundation or not. Looking toward eternity and not looking back to a sinful life that would have resulted in, well, we've got a picture here. And there's another text in the book of Revelation, chapter 20 and verse 15, that I want to bring in here. That text says that those whose names were not written in the book of life were cast out into the lake of fire. I thought that wording was interesting. It's interesting because he doesn't say they were cast into a lake of fire. Now, the picture that I have on the slide is a picture of a volcano, and there's your lava. And lava is melted dirt. Now, you know how hot it has to be to melt dirt? About 2,000 degrees. Okay? 2,000 degrees. That would be a lake of fire. The lake of fire that we're talking about here in the book of Revelation is not just a naturally occurring lake of fire, one that you could find in the midst of an active volcano. 
You know, it's, it's not your typical run-of-the-mill 2,000-degree lake. This is a lake that God has created for eternity that he describes as a lake of fire designed to create an environment of punishment that never stops. So he says that those whose names are not written in the book of life are being cast out into, not into a lake of fire, as though it's just some other lake, but into the specific lake of fire designed for the punishment of sinners, those who chose to live a life for themselves and not for the Lord. Even for those who once were in the book of life, but now have been blotted out. God's looking over the book of life. Oh, there's a blot right there. Wonder whose name was it? Don't know. Moving on. If that name's not there, cast into not a lake of fire, the lake of fire. God has created for an eternity, a punishment. Well, what would iniquity be? What is unrighteousness? In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them, because the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, But you've not so learned Christ, and indeed you have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness. That's the guy that came out of that water who was so convicted, who rejoiced in that day that their sins were forgiven and made the commitment on that day, I'm going to serve the Lord. But has that happened? He's talking to these brethren who apparently had misstepped. Some of them were slipping back into the world, acting like worldly people. Examine your life, it's easy to do. Do I live like a worldly person? Can people look at me and say, something different about him, something different about her? If they see us as them, then what is the difference that's been made? Probably nothing. And if no difference has been made, and our life looks like the world, what does that say about us? Are we Christians, or are we worldly? 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Why? Because our name is written in the book of life, the book of eternal life, a book that represents those who are going to live forever with God. If my name is not written there, then I'm going to be cast into the lake of fire. Here's the thing about that. You know whose name is on there? Those who are saved. The Lord knows who they are. And you should know whether your name is there or not. If you're not sure about that, I think I'd be pretty diligent to find out why I don't know. Because when the Lord returns and... 
I don't know when that will be. It may be before the invitation song is over. Wouldn't that be amazing? I don't know. But whenever that is, he's going to go through that book, and as the song we'll be singing suggests, there'll be a roll call. We're expected because our names are in that book. We're citizens of heaven. It is no surprise to God that we're going to be... You're not going to show up at the door and the Lord say, Wow, I didn't know you were coming. Not like that. He already knows. He wrote your name there. He also knows if he's had to blot that name out. If the Lord has blotted that name out, it's because of unfaithfulness. And for the child of God, there can be restoration to faithfulness through repentance and confession. So today, if you're a child of God and you stand outside of a relationship with God, you've got to be reconnected. The only way to do that is through repentance, confession today. Maybe you're not a child of God. Then your name's not in that book because the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. If you've not obeyed the gospel, your name's not in that book. Long story short, the Lord looks at that list and your name's not there. It's not eternal life for you. I pray, and I hope it's your determination today, to make that assessment of yourself. To know whether or not your name is written there. Let's be sure that all of us walking out here today are standing on the solid foundation of God. Does anybody... Who needs to respond for any reason? Now is your opportunity to do it. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand and sing together. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and shall be the Lord and the morning great eternal bright and fair.
to thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my For the Lord's Supper this morning, I'll be reading uh, uh, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53. 
Who has believed what we have heard? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turn away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. He will see it out of his anguish, and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mightiest full, because he submitted himself to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels." As you prepare, partake the bread, let us give thanks. Heavenly Father, God, we're so, we're so thankful for, for this sacrifice that, that Christ was willing to take on the iniquity of us all. We ask that you would bless this bread, which represents Christ's body. Help us to examine ourselves and partake of it in a worthy manner, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give thanks for the cup. Heavenly Father, likewise, we want to ask you to bless this cup that we're about to partake. We're thankful for it, which represents Christ's blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Again, we ask we will take a, that we partake of this in a worthy manner. We ask that we will remember this and remember Christ's death as we go throughout the rest of our week, God. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We've also been commanded to give, and there's, there's all the ways that you can do that. Um, let us, let's pray for that real quick. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the blessings that we have, all the material blessings that we've been given on this earth. We ask that you would help us to give a portion of that back to you and back to your service, God, and always help us to... Look for ways that we can be more generous to, to the world and to one another, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Good morning. I have a few announcements this morning. There's a card up here. Also, uh, I wanted to add that uh, Sue Mason makes the best peanut butter oatmeal chocolate delights that ever have been. Uh, this card was up here. Dear church family, thank you for your calls, messages, cards, food, but especially your prayers during my COVID. Blessing to be a member of a loving, caring, spiritual family with appreciation and love, Myra Mooney. And also, another one. Dear church family, Thank you for your calls, messages, cards, food, and especially your prayers during my recovery from my surgery. It is a blessing to be a member of a loving spiritual church family with appreciation and love, Ben and Joanne Roberts. Let's see, we have a few announcements. Uh, the Seek and Do Work Day, this past Friday, 16 people traveled to Winona on the church bus to work at the World Evangelism Literature Warehouse. In addition, the Boonville Congregation presented World Evangelism a $1,000 check from our mission funds to help with their global outreach efforts. Special thanks are extended to all those who participated in this Seek and Do Workday. Uh, Tommy Barragona handed me a bulletin clarification. Next Sunday at 5 o'clock, only one adult Bible class in, in the auditorium. It'll be in the auditorium. Michael Hodgen will be our guest teacher. His study topic will be Psalm 119-105. And also, the Annex meeting next week is for men who are current adult Bible class teachers and men who are willing to teach and men who are willing to learn to teach. Uh, we have 180 here right now. There were 99 this morning, so that's 279 today. That's good. That's getting better. Um, there's a uh, that's, I think you're right, yes. So that's three, 280 people. Thank you for that clarification. Um, next Sunday, the Providers uh, Ministry, headed by Tom Wade, well, anyone, uh, uh, young men involved in that, after the service next Sunday, meet with Tom Wade, and he'll be having a, a service, or a meeting at his shop, where he'll be teaching them after church next Sunday. Um, also, let's keep in mind the SALT teams that are uh, being uh, put together. Uh, so there's four of them. Um, just if you're in SALT Team 3, it doesn't mean you're less important than SALT Team 1, uh, unless you're in uh, Guy Gardner's team, but that's, that's not it. Uh, also, Lads to Leaders, it's uh, pretty much in full stride now. That's coming up right around the corner. Uh, please look at the bulletin for uh, all the uh, activities and practice sessions that we have today and Wednesday and every other day, and all those that are heading those up. Much appreciation goes to them. 
And um, I believe that is all I have for now. There we go. We're going to sing verse 3 of Go Be the Church to close out. If you would, stand with me and then remain standing for the closing prayer. As we leave this place, one call fills our heart. Jesus will return and replace our side. And earth will be one by all time when we fly to meet Jesus in the air. We Heavenly Father, we're so grateful we've had this time together on this first day of the week. As we have heard, as we have learned, may we stand on that foundation that you have created, that you've given us. May we stand together. Father, may we not be foolish. May every word, every thought, every decision that we make be in line and in accordance with thy word. Father, may we do all that is right here so that someday we can be there with thee. Father, we love thee so. We're so grateful for your son. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.